Hello and welcome back to the Investors Chronicles Companies and Markets podcast. I'm the editor, John Human. With me today are Graham Davis, our news editor. Hello, John. And Mark Robinson, our editor without portfolio. Yeah, really? <laughs> That's news to me. Hello, John. Hello. And uh, we'll be joined shortly by Stephen Wilmot, the company's editor, who will be discussing with me the FTSE 350 review, uh, which we've published this week. It's uh, a 40-page uh, special special supplement looking in detail at every sector of the FTSE 350. Uh, it's a mammoth effort, but uh, we'll come on to that very shortly. But in the meantime, let's uh, let's head over to uh, Graham and Mark to discuss what's, uh, what's been going on uh, on the news front this week. Graham. Mm. We had a bit of an interesting contrast. There's obviously lots of macro news still going on. The Greek election result was on Sunday and that sort of... The markets didn't really react to that. But it wasn't really a surprise, the outcome. Not a surprise, no. And, you know, it's a bit of a wait and see there. I mean, the Greek banks have been hammered this week, um, but we don't really know what's going to happen there. Beware Um, of Greeks bearing guilt. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yes. Very uh, good, Mark. Yes. It's almost uh, as good as your marbles pun from a few weeks back, <laughs> <laughs> which we uh, which we appreciated. If Callisto. Um, so yeah, so that, you know that, that that that's an overriding factor. We had UK GDP was a bit slower than than forecast uh, in the fourth quarter of last year, but still um, not too bad. No, still not too shabby. Two point six percent overall growth in the year. And um, our resident economist uh, Chris Dello tells us it's uh, nothing to worry about in the short. Nothing term. to worry about, according to Chris. Um, there's, you know, there is a, yeah, there has been a bit of a slowdown, but you know, there's all si- sort of signs of consumers getting a few more pounds in their pocket. Um, that would be no doubt related to the uh, the tumbling oil price. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, and that obviously takes a little while to come through. Yeah, apparently some uh, a, a, a tracker from the Centre for Economics and Business Research this week suggested that each uh, UK family had an extra £15 a week to spend in December compared to the year before. So, you know, if that trend continues... There may be some uh, some some improvement uh, in consumer spending, although some people have been saying maybe it's about time people tackle their debts rather than going out and spending it on more tellies. But you know that uh, we've been here before; people tend to go out and spend it on more tellies. Mm. Um, are they so, spending? Are they spending on houses as well? Are we? Uh, I mean, is, is this uh, mm. this this GDP growth coming from uh, the, the the construction? market yeah yeah well construction and, and associated industries have done well yeah. uh, you know the housing market continues to do well home sellers or homeowners as according to zoopla uh, expect house prices to go up by another seven percent between now and june i'm not sure um where that confidence is coming from because there is this sort of a hiatus expected between now and the election yeah um and um, i have to say i mean uh, i'm selling my house at the moment. Oh, i have sold mm. my house and i'm in the process of moving uh, which you can read all about in my editorial my experiences there with uh, with property portals but my experience is that there are not a lot of properties coming onto the market at yeah. the moment there haven't been for quite some time it seems to me that a lot of people are uh, are sitting on their hands yeah um, exactly and I, d- I don't think that that seems to be supportive of either rising or falling prices or much activity whatsoever. No, I think there will be. I just feel like there's going to be a bit of a hiatus. Mm. Um, and, you know, and London's been the big driver of of, uh, of the UK property boom in the past few years. And Foxton's results back end of last week didn't suggest, well, they had a 25% fall in sales commissions in the final quarter of 2014, which suggests that the London, central London market is... Uh, I thought there would have been renewed interest from uh, our Swiss cousins. Mm? Well, yeah, well, that, that that may come to bear in the coming months, Mark. It takes a while uh, and, to come uh, through. Maybe, maybe our Greek cousins as well. Mm. Yeah, um, but, you absolutely. know, we, in contrast to macro stuff, corporate news was interesting this week. Uh, there's a, you know, is, is the dollar beginning to possibly hurt corporate America a little bit? Um, Microsoft, Caterpillar 
Procter and Gamble, their figures all disappointed this week. And then but there have, was one, there was one company have, that didn't disappoint. Yeah, the, mm. the outlier that is Apple. It's, yeah. it should, it's, in a, it's, in a, it's in a sector of its own, really. I mean, it, uh, record corporate results for for the fourth for 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 the last quarter. Well, that was, uh, Eighteen billion dollars of net profit in a single quarter. Yeah, I mean it's extraordinary. Exactly, they sold more than seventy million iPhones, I think. Yeah. Um. Uh, that that oh, you know um, is a Christmas Christmas lift and going into China, so that's going to fall. Forecasts for the next quarter is that they will sell only fifty five million only? iPhones. Yes, which would still be their second best quarter ever. I should hasten to add that in the next issue, our tech expert Theron Muhammad will mm. be taking a. A broad view of Apple as well. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are asking the question, where does it go from here? But th- that question's been asked many times in, the, in recent years about Apple, and, it, you know, it keeps keeps uh, keeps coming back. Well, indeed, there were a few years back we um, when there was a, a bit of softness in the share price, which, mm. which um, occurred shortly after uh, Steve Jobs passed yeah. away and was replaced by Tim Cook. And I think there were a lot of concerns at that point that Apple had lost its innovative streak. Mm. And, and so we actually wrote a big feature at the time saying, ah, yeah. This company will keep delivering, and you know, it's sitting on so much cash, and it will start pumping out the dividends and the cash returns as yeah. well, uh, yeah, as well as generating the growth. This is classic value, and I think I think we we've been proved right. Mm, and, um, indeed, and it's still sitting on you know, it's 140 billion dollars worth of cash in in the bank at the moment, yeah. spread around the world, and that's its pro- that's that is an issue for the company. But uh, yeah, we we we. I, I, it's the internal revenue service in the states would be looking upon that. Yeah, they probably longingly. Will. I mean, we wait to see what what Theron um, writes about it next week. He's going to do something in depth for us. But uh, but uh, yeah, I think we remain positive on that stock. Mm. Even though iPad sales are starting to disappoint. Yeah, iPad sales disappointed a little bit. Um, but the iPhone uh, is just it's just going gangbusters. This new bigger phone that they've brought out, and also it's just signs that that they've sort of you know smacked Samsung into submission for the time being. That's, that's seen that one in China. China's interesting as well because they're just making their first major moves in China, Apple, and and that's been a big uh, growth boon for them. But there is, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, Xiaomi? Xiaomi? This is the domestic, the domestic competitor that's emerging. Yeah, smartphone yeah. operator in China, so they might have to watch out for that. But I really don't know enough about that to, uh, to comment on anything. Yeah, well, I'm sure Theron will, uh, will take a mm. look at that next week in detail. Um, okay, so, so we, talked, um, we talked about oil, um, the oil price fall, and potentially you know, that being a contributory factor to putting a bit more uh, uh, disposable income back in people's pockets. Um, what's been going on with the oil price? I mean, the big story in oil this week, I guess, is Shell, which, uh, which is not in the magazine because it only well, still, today. You know, I've, I've had a look at it this morning, and uh, actually it's sort of a mixed bag with them, really. Um, the fourth quarter sort of adjusted earnings were up. Uh, some of their downstream assets have benefited from the restructuring measures. Uh, the refining and marketing segments have done quite well. Uh, but, of course, um, you know, the, the main problem is the oil price. Uh, with Shell, though, there's some, there's some interesting uh, aspects to the results as well because I think last year they basically had um, negative free cash flow, but that's been transformed this year because of the company has actually gone on a sort of a rationalisation path uh, quite successfully. So while obviously the, the overall outlook is not that positive, uh, you know, internally the the group's made some progress, I think. I mean, the, 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 perhaps the, the most worrying aspect I saw of it, I was looking at the um, uh, replacement ratio, which is uh, measures uh, a group's ability to uh, replenish its reserves. That has actually fallen from uh, last year, and the three-year average adjusted figure for that has, has fallen as, as well. And th- this implies that they're having more difficulty um, sort of uh, backing up their reserves, even though they had quite a, a strong sales year. Uh, 
and, and when you combine this with the fact that they're cutting back on capital spending, 15, does, 15 billion, over 15 three billion, years. that Massive. doesn't all go well for that ratio. Mm. You know, I mean, they have got they have got some new a lot of new production coming on uh, some in Australia as well. But um, it's something that we're going to have to really keep an eye on. But presumably that's much the same story across the industry. I mean, uh, you know, especially as the oil price falls, the, the incentive to invest in, in new production is, is, is going to diminish. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there's various things. I mean, what's happened as well, that costs, unit costs are coming down slightly. I, I haven't had a chance to go right through the cost figures yet, but uh, that will be another uh, knock-on effect from it as well. So we're going to see, a, in a sense, a smaller industry, certainly in terms of uh, capital budgets, but, you know, what's that going to do uh, for long-term sort of uh, production growth? Well, it can only, it can only sort of um, hamper it, I'd have thought. A company, a company's going to go out and buy that production growth, though. I mean, is it going to be consolidation in the oil industry? Well, that's a good point, actually, because, I mean, uh, when when all this is uh, over in March, April time, I'm, I'm going to go through um, the junior oil and gas uh, stocks. So we've got those that are in production or, or uh, moving close to it because there's tremendous financial weakness out there. So, you know, undoubtedly we're going to see some... some Consolidation. Mm. Any, uh, mega, any mega mergers? Uh, well, they're, yeah, they're, these are always being mooted. But I mean, you know, who, who would have the money by BP, for instance? I mean, you know, they're, they're talking about Shell and maybe Exxon. But I mean, these rumours are always there. I mean, given that the the, the onus is on sort of um, uh, you know repairing balance sheets or bolstering them, mm. more to the point. I mean, who's really going to fork out for BP's assets, especially when there's an open-ended uh, court? Ruling still in process. So, so, what do you? What sort of assets do you think people would be looking at them? Well, I, I mean, we're going to get onto we're going to get onto this in a minute. But there are some knockdown assets there. I mean, uh, we'll segue into Afrin a bit later. But well, let's talk about it now. We'll talk about it now. Okay. Well, you know, it's been disastrous. It's been a disastrous sort of year for Afrin, and uh, I'm just glad that we managed to get out of the tip right at the top as well. But since then, they've had a terrible corporate governance scandal and it's gone from worse to worse. The the company now is effectively a busted flush. So most of those assets are located offshore uh, Nigeria. Most of the big majors have moved out from that area. Uh, but there are some, uh, Seplat, uh, which uh, listed... Oh, domestic. Domestic, right. yeah. And I think that uh, came on early last year. Yeah. And they've been uh, snaffling up uh, low-cost a- assets in the region. And, of course, you know, Afrin's uh, assets are now in, now in their crosshairs. Because Afrin has a decent production profile. Oh, it's then. just the, the corporate governance issues and, and now funding is... What's hobbled that company? Yeah, that's 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 right. I mean, you know, they're even talking about going back to the market again. But good luck with all that. I thought. Oh, well, you mentioned that actually in Nigeria. We we were talking about this uh, in the uh, in the newsroom throughout the week because we had some results from PZ Customs, which is um, a supplier of uh, household goods, um, soaps, detergents, etc. And it's big in in Nigeria. And yeah. obviously, the big issue in Nigeria at the moment is is Boko Haram. How yeah. do you pronounce it? Which is seriously destabilizing in that country well p- particularly in in the north as well i, I mean there, there seems to be very little sort of uh, military intervention in the north from uh, the nigerian army and what there has been has been totally ineffectual uh, perhaps that's because there's no oil in the north that might be a cynical way of looking at it but of course that uh, impacts on other other areas of the economy i, I don't normally uh, cover PZ Cousins or in fact use any of their products as you can probably tell but, <laughs> but they pointed out there that distribution is the, is, is the main problem and it's, it's not that they've had any sort of direct um, problems uh, with the, uh, the militants so far but it's just the threat is enough to sort of um, 
you know, destabilize the economy in the it north. It must be hampering the overall economy of the country as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, we, we were trying to get some figures on this this morning, but uh, at the moment, it's sort of very broad base. But well, well, I read, I read earlier that just declares um, uh, an Islamic caliphate in the, in the northeast of the country, the size of Belgium, and you know, it seems to be spreading very quickly. Yeah, I, I think um, S&P have just brought out some uh, data on it as well. I'd be interested to have a, have a look at that because obviously it affects Nigeria's uh, rating in the bond markets too. Mm, yeah. So it's obviously having a serious impact. I mean, it's such a strange year in, in, in many ways because, I mean, who would have thought that the, that the, uh, the rise of uh, ISIS or ISIL in Iraq and Syria has had such a limited effect on the oil price. In fact, production as well. So that that's that surprised me no end through 2014. One can only hope that there will be a, a limited uh, impact in Nigeria, but the portents are not good. No, and I think your I mean your view over the sorry, the course of last year was that there, there are easily uh, shocks there that could suddenly impinge upon yeah. uh, supply yeah, they, and, and it should reverse this fall that we've seen over recent months. Well, the, this is it. I mean, you know, if, if, you know, if, the, if the sort of insurgency was to spread uh, through the south of the country, that could imperil um, Nigeria's oil supplies, which I haven't got the figure on the top of my head, but it's, it's a fairly sort of... They're uh, a major oil producer. They're a major oil producer, you know, and Africa's most populous uh, country, the biggest economy there, it would have a, a major, major impact on the oil price if that was to suddenly uh, stop for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, Nigeria, admittedly, has been struggled with uh, with the rise of uh, US shale, but that's a, a different story. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, so from one um, one resource that's not doing so well, oil, um, let's, let's have a quick look at mining um, and mining equities, because they, they seem to be, the sentiment there seems to be improving um, somewhat, and uh, um, certainly precious metals have... Um, started to recover a little yeah I, th- I, th- I think it's a knock-on effect for the instability growing into instability in the world economy people are moving um, back into gold uh, gold ETFs more to the point mm. uh, albeit on a modest basis but it certainly looks a little bit sounder than it has for a while so we've got a couple of pieces in the magazine this week uh, Nicole Elliott who uh, is our trader um, has uh, produced something called an Ichimoku cloud um, looking at the trajectory of the gold price Ichimoku clouds are a Japanese charting technique that that actually Nicole was one of the first westerners to, to experience she worked out in Japan for a while uh, and wrote a book on this that was really the, the very first book that was published in 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 the West on on the use of Ichimoku clouds and her view is that the recent the recent uh, rise in gold I mean, it's taken the chart into to much more positive territory than it's been for a while, but but it's not necessarily a, a, a big bull indicator, and that's kind of how it feels to me that you know we had, we've had this little rise, um, you know, off the off the lows uh, as we got some sort of fear uh, throughout throughout Europe, but um, you know, are mm. we set for big gains ahead like we had in the past? Possibly not. Well, certainly not in percentage terms, but I mean that was coming from a fairly low base. The last uh, rise over what was that eight ten years mm. the, the, the bull market. Uh, sort of unparalleled, really. So we're not going to. It's unlikely we're going to see that again. But uh, yeah, but the interesting fact about it as well is that gold has been under pressure, but it's really dipped below that twelve hundred dollar an ounce mark as well. And we've been saying for some time that we think that's actually the floor, the production floor for yeah. all in costs. So it's, I mean, it's, it's worthwhile keeping that in mind. I mean, the thinking is: I mean, if it drops below that level, it can't stay there for long. 
Mm, absolutely. Unless you get curtailed production as a result. Um, there's another in- interesting interview in the fun section. Um, Moira O'Neill has spoken to Will Smith, who is uh, the manager of the uh, City Natural Resources High Yield Fund. And he he sounds um, reasonably bullish on uh, on mining, mining equities. Um, go and read that. That's quite interesting. Um, but there were uh, a couple of things in there that struck me that actually the input costs of mining, one of them is oil. So mm. actually, that's quite quite beneficial for uh, for miners, yeah. especially in Australia, where logistics are a big part of getting getting ore out of there. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, sure. I mean, uh, I mean, all of the mo- we, we're expecting a, a host of sort of write downs in the coming results season. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, Anglo has pointed to some um, uh, some possible ramifications for its uh, balance sheet as well. But I mean, if you look if you look at the the big producers in Australia, BHP and Rio, Rio has actually just stepped up its iron ore production there, mm. and even though there's a, a supposed surplus in the market. But it's a low cost producer, has scale. Yeah, that can afford to do. Yeah, that. that's the difference. Isn't Which is, it? It, kind yeah. of is the Saudi Arabia of, uh, of well, that, all. That's production. right, and it, it sells everything it produces. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting was uh, he talks about oil grades, and this I know is a. Uh, a favoured subject of yours, Mark. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's it. I mean, I was when I was looking at copper markets the other week, and you know, that's a significant uh, point of it. I mean, it, it that actually feeds through into higher production costs, but it also means that uh, over time, for the amount of effort you put in, you're going to get less refined copper out through the process. Uh, and the, and the same is true of uh, iron ore. The, the big sort of high grade iron ore deposits uh, just aren't, aren't there anymore. The ones that have been found are the, and the Pilbara and, and Rio and uh, BHP have got those tied up. So I mean, over time, you know, it's it's become a more and more sort of um, important important issue. Mm. Which potentially supports the price of mining equities. Uh, those miners who have the the, the right production. Yeah, we said for a while it's uh, going to be a, a scale game in the end. The likes of um, uh, BHP and Rio will actually be forcing uh, higher cost producers out of the market. We've some, seen some evidence of this in uh, Australia already. And even uh, big producers like Fortescue have been um, sort of complaining about the, the dominance of those two in Western Australia at the moment and the, and the implications for the, uh, the industry as a whole. Uh, Western Australia's uh, Premier has been sort of recently quite critical of both uh, companies in this regard. But I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a strategic initiative on their part. And, and, and they've been looking at that for, for some time, trying to dominate in key sections of uh, the industrial input market. And they've managed to uh, succeed in iron ore to a, to a, to a large extent, really. Mm, and uh, you've made a big call in the tip section this week. We won't tell, don't tell the readers what it is. No, the listeners, but, rather. Well, that's right. I mean, I've, but, I've, I've, I've highlighted, um, I've highlighted a, a, a miner, a sort of well-known miner, uh, with uh, a robust balance sheet, a good dividend record, an exceptional dividend record, really. Uh, but essentially, uh, it's a play on the copper price. And of course, you know, copper's a five and a half year low. I mean, it's 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 a, a sort of a bizarre tip in a sense. But when you look at it, the long term perspective for copper is far more sort of bullish than uh, the, the present situation. That's because, again, with that situation with the grades are falling, there's very few large deposits that were that are coming online within the next ten years or so. There's some in the in the development stage, but it's going to take so long for this copper to get on the market that the production growth will not be able to keep up with the anticipated uh, demand growth. And so we see um, uh, copper moving back into deficit. This is assuming that the the market is actually in surplus at the moment. There's some sort of um, 
some sort of dispute over whether that is or not. In fact, Glencore had come out at the end of last year suggesting that the market might actually be in deficit now. But over time, we think that's going to be the situation for copper. So even though things are looking fairly bleak, there's an interesting call in the magazine anyway. Okay. Well, brave or foolish? Who knows? Yes, time will well, tell. Time, time will, will tell. tell. Okay, so now let's take a look at uh, the FTSE 350 review. Um, the company's team have been uh, burning the midnight oil putting this together this week. It's, it's a mammoth effort every year. 40 pages of analysis of every sector and, and, and virtually every company within it. Stephen Wilmot is here to talk to us about uh, what, what we've actually written. Um, we tend to, to do a bit of backward looking, see what's happened throughout, throughout the year just gone, 2014. A bit of forward looking content as well. So Stephen, what, uh, what happened in 2014 across the FTSE 350? Um, well, very broadly, we saw the FTSE 350 outperform small caps for a change. Uh, it's quite unusual. Investors will probably remember that in 2012 and 13, um, small caps outperformed quite significantly. So the FTSE 350 outperformed actually last year. And that probably won't have been good for um, quite a lot of our readers. Um, we know private investors tend to focus on um, smaller companies and they, they didn't have a great year um, mm-hmm. as risk aversion kind of seized I'm not so sure that is the case with our readers, actually. I think our readers prefer some of the um, Mm. more tried and tested indices. Well, that was one of the interesting trends, so was that that there was a big flight to to size in the US. So the S&P 500 massively outperformed the Russell 3000 decks of smaller companies in the US. There was a sort of slight similar effect in the UK where as I said the FTSE 350 outperformed the small cap index but within the FTSE 350 the 250s of the mid cap index outperformed the the FTSE 100 and that's because the FTSE 100 has all these big miners and big um, oil and gas companies Shell and BP and so forth and they were were massively hit indeed and that's what would have hit the, the smaller indices as well Obviously, AIM that, that, that also have a very hit, large. Yeah, that also hit AIM, though. Actually, AIM's exposure to oiling uh, to mining is is surprisingly small. That's because um, they all tanked over the yeah, last couple of years. But anyway, uh, the um, yeah, no, absolutely. They the, the FTSE 100. Um, let's see, I've got the the figures here. So, um, including dividends reinvested um, over the year to the 21st of January, which is the the period covered by the FTSE 350 review, the the, the FTSE 100 returned 1.95 percent. The FTSE 250 returned 3.41 percent, mm-hmm. and the FTSE small caps, so those below the FTSE two, uh, 350, lost 1.05 percent including dividends reinvested mm. i was actually reading a piece by uh, alex newman which is uh, which is in this week's magazine as well and actually within that as well the fledgling um yeah. did surprisingly well actually bizarrely. yes you know there have been some interesting effects like aim had a bad year but actually the very smallest companies on the f- which have full listings did quite well so yeah there is some anyway which you can get your teeth into these things um in this week's issue because not we haven't just got the there's uh, as well as the FTSE 350 review that um yeah Alex as you point mm. out has done a very interesting piece on the um on, on the stuff below the FTSE 350. I, I guess I mean you could perhaps look at that and say well you, that means you would have to be selective about the type of companies you invest in in certain market conditions and you know last year wasn't I mean FTSE uh the FTSE 100 doing you know just over a percent it's not exactly a fantastic um, bull run, as it were, and and small companies don't tend to do so well when markets no, are pretty flat. It, it, exactly, it was it was a, it was a year of re- 
a return of risk aversion after two very strong years in 2012 and 13. I mean, you've got to remember that. You know, investors had fantastic years in 2012 and 13, and it was only to be expected, really, that um, uh, things moderate. Um, mm. Well, I guess that's why why we think the, the FTSE 350 review is so important because it gives you the kind of ammunition you well, need absolutely. to actually really understand the trends going on uh, within each of the sectors within the market and to really help you identify where there might be pockets of value and uh, and, and pockets of overvaluation. Yeah, um, it only makes half sense to talk about the FTSE 100 versus the 250 and versus the small caps. I mean, it really, I think the big effects last year were sectoral trends. So that the fact that mining and oil and gas massively underperformed again um it's worth worth pointing that out it, mm-hmm. it, 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 there was a contrarian trade saying by by the miners about a year ago uh, and it would that really wouldn't have paid off so. um, and and obviously the big the big news for those sectors was that uh china's infrastructure led growth is starting to slow down mm-hmm. they're and, not, and simply it, not using as much uh, of the raw material as they were and, and it's hard to see that trend suddenly reversing i mean that's a pretty mm. big picture trend well, I, I, mean, guess, I guess this also goes back to, to why the FTSE 250 uh, outperformed the FTSE 100 and has actually done for some time now if, if mm, we look back over the years that, that yeah. actually the FTSE 250 is always seen as a more uk-centric index and the uk recovery has powered the performance there to an extent yeah absolutely and uh, we would i mean our, be- our best guess would be that that would continue that it's still worth playing with the FTSE 250 recovery plays i mean the the the, the most sort of the totemic play there really is with the house builders last year again i mean it was in 2012 and 13 as well um but um you know we had some debates uh, in investors chronicle last year about whether that would continue and, and you were on the losing side uh, <laughs> and i'm happy to concede that uh, my doubts um in the kind of early spring uh, there was a wobble for about six months, but actually they recovered very strongly in the fourth mm. quarter. And... But there's, there's been a bit, bit of a wobble again at the start of the year as well, some of the house builders. I mean, it's, mm. it's yes, not well, been a flying start. No, Persimmon crashed. Uh... But, but you know, we we don't seem to be especially worried. I mean, yeah, having read the entire FTSE 350 review, I mean, I, the house builders' outlook, we're not especially worried. Cress Nicholson had results this week, and they were incredibly strong. Really hard to see what might happen. I mean, they're... they're Okay, the margins are at peak levels. If there's a sudden downturn, they'll be hit. But um, certainly, judging by how things look now, and that's a, that's know. a structural story. So I mean, exactly. it's very basic, really. Yeah, you know, there's, uh, there's a shortage of housing, and and we need to build more. Exactly, it's very ba- exactly, and, and and you know, there are th- there are three things there: there's strong levels of government support, there's structural supply demand imbalance, and there are um, there's little competition for land because the banks aren't lending to the small builders who. Bid, bid land up to high prices in, in the period before 2007, for example. Yeah. So there's, you know, it's it's an incredibly strong story, and and commercial property too um, looks um, is, is a very strong story. I must admit, I was struck it's, reading it's, the the uh, the real estate pieces and the REITs piece, real estate investment trusts. How many of those uh, commercial property investors we have on buys? I mean, it's pretty much yeah. the entire sector, and has been for a while. And it was one of the stand-up performers in on AIM last year. That's so, true. Yeah. Um, yeah. You most, you know, the aim sort of fell twenty percent, but actually, one of the subsectors within that which actually did very well was was real estate. Well, having, having disparaged you for your call on house builders <laughs> last year, I, I'm going to have to, to to big you up because you wrote a piece on regional commercial property plays back in 13? March 2013, and that I mean that's proved to be a spectacular call. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I am proud of that article, <laughs> I must say, but it, it, it's worth pointing that out, not least because the retailers face very 
very different circumstances. So you'd think those would be, um, you know, recovering real wages, um, and the UK recovery story would would make retailers and consumer um, industries a really good place to be. But there are very difficult competitive dynamics there. There's the mm. deflation issue. There's and obviously in supermarkets, there's this there, there are huge competitive issues. So this is a structural so problem. That, so like just as house builders have structural tailwinds. Yeah, we could argue that supermarkets and miners, looking, you know, just going back a bit, have structural headwinds. And, Absolutely, uh, yeah. There's a there are overcapacity issues there, mm, and, um, and as you say, competition issues in the form of discounters. And, yeah, though some of those discounters actually have come to market in the general retail sector. So apparently, right, Poundlands Pound and yeah. and such like um, shoe zones on AIM, which uh, we um, don't necessarily shop in, but <laughs> some people do, and, and they're doing okay. And there's the B and M European Value. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, that trend is is. You can actually access it now, perhaps not in the same way that you can with with supermarkets. It's very hard to it's play the discount so much, theme in supermarkets. It's not food rate retail, but yes, in general retail. Yeah, yeah. But the supermarkets have had a terrible year. Um, yes, sec- second worst performer in our list of FTSE three fifty. And that was despite sectors. a bit of. Now, did, did Tesco's bounce back happen post the year end? Actually, I can't remember now. Um, I, I had it already sort of started. Bottomed out in in the in the late autumn. Yeah, uh, didn't hasn't really didn't really stage a recovery until. Um, that very strong Christmas, well, very strong, that um, less awful than expected <laughs> Christmas trading update in January. So, so, so you know, given given the, the supermarket sell-off was was savage last year, yeah. you know, where where we have these these structural problems, food, food, we, food and drug retailers down twenty six percent, down twenty six percent. So, should, is it time to pile back in? Well, it yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I, I there clearly will be a buying opportunity there at some point. On the other hand. So we've seen one quarter of better like for likes. That is all we can really say at this point. We, you know, the Q three was really bad. Q four was less bad. It would remain a very speculative buy, I would say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. While while, while we haven't seen any end to that trend. Well, we've got some new management, and I think there's a lot of hope value yeah, resting on, on those guys. Yeah, and Tesco, and Tesco, yeah. and Sainsbury's as well. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Although that was was a bit... more of a carefully managed <laughs> process than, than the others, uh, it has to be said. Um, okay, so were there any other standout sectors? Uh, well, I think an interesting one is the banks. So yeah, yeah, the I mean, you'd expect that the banks, at least RBS, uh, Lloyd's, and Barclays, to also be quite good plays on the the UK consumer story. Um, but actually, they haven't been. That's because um, regulation has continued to to kind of undermine the the buy story there. Really, I mean, they 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 have been improving quite dramatically. You know the. Um, expanding their loans in the recovering housing market, bad debts have fallen, so that's boosted their earnings. But but they've been hit, but they've been hit by these big fines, mm. and uh, mm. and there there are con- ongoing kind of regulatory uncertainty around um, you know, people talking about leverage ratio, you know, ca- capital ratios, that, that all those questions about how to to, to protect um, taxpayers from too big to fail banks haven't actually been resolved, and and that sector is still a challenging one to invest in yeah well i know our former our former banking correspondent because john has now uh left us to go to the fca to protect us from too big to fail banks um but it but, you know his his view was that there could be more pain to come in the form of fines you know despite the fact that they all passed the the stress test the european and the uk stress tests you know there, there is still uncertainty out there the uh the, one of the worst performers in banks was standard chartered and, yes. and its problems were nothing to do with the uk no absolutely that's the the emerging market well, the, the Chinese slowdown story, and and also commodity loans. It has a has a lot of commodity loans, which people right. 
people um, assume will have to be written down and then the question is does it need to raise capital so yeah one of the standout success stories of the the 2008-9 banking crash now is facing problems of its own it's um, amazing how things um you know, those that look strong then look weak and vice versa. So it's yeah. always a good reminder, these kind of, if we look back three or four years, it's hard to imagine that Standard Chartered would be the, the standard underperformer of 2014, but it was. Indeed. So, but, so you know, things could uh, could turn again uh, Yeah, no, and, 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 it's, um, and it's worth pointing out that the top performer in the FTSE 350 last year was Man Group, which uh, was a serial underperformer for many years. He's a hedge fund he, uh, the he, Yeah, the hedge fund manager, Man Group, um, yeah, had these quant strategies which performed very badly and it was losing all sorts of assets on all sorts of mandates and um yeah it was considered a bit of a no hoper at the beginning of last year which is why its shares doubled last year because when people realized oh actually maybe it can get its act together hmm. uh, you know that, that, that that's always a you know it's useful to remember that it's low expectations which create strong investment stories not just strong stories mm, absolutely no and i think i think that's that's highlighted in, in the intro to the piece that, that you wrote that you know at the beginning of uh 2014 everyone was was full of optimism and it's turned out to be a bit of a dance group at the beginning of of 13 the year before everyone was talking about triple was zip doom and gloom believe, believe it or not and and we had a we had a bump year so you know going into 15 the talk is of qe a lot of it and and how we you know asset prices are going to get this wonderful boost yeah this, that, that's that's another interesting difference from last year we last year we had tapering in the u.s um, and so, i.e. You know, the reductions in quantitative easing, and and now the U.S. is no longer quantitative easing, but the the but now Europe is. So there is a there is a difference there, which could be a tailwind behind asset prices this year. Who knows? Mm. But, um, but there are some European headwinds, of course, as well in in the form of the situation in Greece, which uh, which is uh, somewhat ongoing, unprecedented, and and ongoing and uh i know simon's written on uh on on that this week and you know his view is that that this will not end in calamity um but will be managed um and that as it a result does seem isolated I and mean, it really it seems like the risk of contagion does seem to have receded contagion to portugal and ireland and mm. so forth mm, absolutely so you know that that means that that qe can do its magic as it's as it's supposed to do and you know Simon's view is that this will get some real money flowing into the economy, and you know that must be good for, uh, for for a lot of UK companies who who are likely to be doing business with Europe. Um, a couple of sectors that struck me: yeah, engineers had a pretty torrid year, and I think that was partly to do with commodity exposure. But, Absolutely, yeah. But but, but, but um, you know, not exactly um, yeah, buoyant industri- conditions. Industrial in engineering down fifteen point two percent. General industrials down fifteen point three. So yeah, yeah, they they. You know, they they made a lot of money in 2011 12 mm. they raced out of the financial out of the crash i mean they they bounced back very strongly in 2009 10 and selling widgets to mm. capital projects but these the, are classic in cyclicals the, in the emerging world yeah but they're classic cyclicals and yeah you'd expect them to to bounce back at some point yeah and after a torrid year you know if, if if the european economy does that far and there's a lot of big you know big industry in europe and and a lot of these engineers are supplying those industries then you know we could see something of recovery i think our, our writer daniel liberto has identified a a few which are, are, are less exposed to oil and gas and more exposed to europe such as body coat for example mm, absolutely um but, but generally speaking equities uh 5350 you know the the, the cream of of, uh, of the uk stock markets Stephen, time for your big call <laughs> what's next year got in store for us well uh, i i 
as I have said before, um, I think you know, equities remain the least worst place to be. They yield four and a half. Well, the FTSE 100 yields four and a half percent. Four and a half percent. That's pretty um, impressive. I mean, it's, 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 that's a number worth reflecting on. And um, you know, and last year wasn't a great year, so you might think there's room for a, um, a slightly stronger year this year. Mm, actually, that's, that that uh, that yield is something that Simon mentioned in in his Greek piece as well. That uh, that actually for a lot of companies, their their dividend yield is now higher than than the uh, the cost of their debt, their mm. uh, their coupons, and this could prompt some. Some share buybacks, buybacks mm. um, to, to to basically shift that, uh, which would mm. obviously be good for equities and you know earnings accretive. So yeah, interesting year ahead. Well, uh, well, it's been uh, as I said, been an interesting week. Lots of uh, lots of uh, late nights, and uh, we appreciate the hard work, Stephen, of you and you and all the team. Thank you very much. Thank you, and uh, thank you again to to Graham and Mark for your contributions earlier. Um, a lot of a lot of very interesting uh, stuff going on there. Uh, plenty to think about, and plenty of, of suggestions that you know, in some areas we are at that point of maximum pessimism where uh, it might be time to, to start dabbling again. You can pick that up in uh, in all good news agents. As I said, a lot of effort's gone into the uh, the supplement this week. Forty pages of uh, of your finest sexual analysis, uh, all for just four pounds fifty. Uh, and there's plenty more in the magazine too. We've got a Euro stock screen from uh, from Algie Hall. Uh, all the usual uh, goodies in the funds and uh, money section, uh, tips, and uh, we try to see some results again this week so uh you uh, enjoy those so uh, thank you very much and uh, see you next week bye-bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.